Vanuatu. Well, let's pick up where we left off. We left off uh, in, uh, in verse 9, uh, and, uh, and uh, we were reminded that uh, that's why we need to read the book of Revelation over and over. It's not about figuring out the mark of the beast. It's not about figuring out who the false prophet is uh, or the Antichrist is. It's written to give us hope and to remind us that life is short. Life is short. God's in control, and we're going to heaven. So no sooner does the first beast come on the scene uh, than he is followed by the second beast, the second beast in the book of Revelation. And uh, who is this second beast? What does he represent? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you asked. We're going to uh, take a look at that here. Uh, the second beast uh, came out of the earth. The first beast, as you saw in verse 1, comes out of the sea. The second beast comes out of the earth. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised to send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You remember back in John chapter 14, verse 16. The other beast described in this passage is the false prophet. So uh, uh, we read about that more in Revelation 16, verse 13, and Revelation 19, verse 20. The false prophet is to the Antichrist what the Holy Spirit is to Jesus Christ. Uh, he is a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And unlike the Antichrist, the false prophet comes across like a lamb. He seems to be so humble, so gentle, but his purpose is to deceive. The Antichrist is a political leader. Politics has been in the news lately, and the Antichrist is a very smooth operator, a very savvy political leader. The Antichrist is well-liked. He has his public relations skills honed to a T. Uh, the false prophet is a religious leader. So the Antichrist, a political leader, the false prophet, a religious leader, he will unify the world in one world religion, in a one world religion. So as the public relations man for the Antichrist, who is the first beast? In verse 12, the first beast is the Antichrist. It's important to remember that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to put focus on Jesus Christ. Those churches or those individuals that are constantly, uh, constantly uh, uplifting and, and promoting the Holy Spirit but rarely mention Jesus Christ are off kilter. How do we know? The Bible tells us so. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. Yes, he is a person, the third person of the Trinity. Is he God? Yes, 100% God. So is God the Father, so is Jesus Christ, God the Son. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to point always and consistently to Jesus Christ. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So uh, that's the work of the of the. Uh, of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, the ministry of the false prophet, as you know, is to put the focus on the Antichrist. And although the false prophet will appear to be as gentle as a lamb, verse 11, 
He will have the ability, the Bible tells us in verse 13, to make fire flash down to earth from the sky. How? Well, perhaps it's a counterfeit miracle. Uh, do you remember the counterfeit miracles that were performed in order to deceive others? Maybe going back to the book of Exodus, let my people go, Charleston Heston, you know, Moses. Uh, you remember that? Do you remember Pharaoh's magicians who duplicated Moses' Moses's miracles, who duplicated Moses' signs up to a point? They could only go so far. Back in Egypt, they could only mimic the miracles God did through Moses. They couldn't do anything on their own because God is the only creator and the best that Satan can do is to copy. That's all. You don't see anything original, just a copy. In addition to his fire from the sky trick, however that works, um, the false prophet builds a statue of the Antichrist that appears to come to life. So not only is this statue speaking but killing uh, those who but, uh, but, but people are, are killing those who refuse to bow to it uh, but, but the Bible says he deceived in verse 14 all the people who belong to this world to this world the false prophet orders people to worship a statue of the Antichrist remember the false prophet Mr. Public Relations Man Shiny teeth, you know, he shines in the glitter and, and he's got his hair combed just right and wears just the right clothing. Everybody around the world thinks he's the best thing to come along since sliced bread. They just think he's, he's fantastic. Now, this order to worship a statue, you Bible students will remember, is a direct violation of what commandment? The second commandment, yes. The second commandment of Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says he was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die, in verse 15. So the question is, what is this statue? What is this statue erected in the rebuilt temple of Jerusalem? Well, a possible answer may be found in computer chips. Now, many of you are far more knowledgeable, far more savvy in technology than this old guy in front of this fireplace. I'm just kind of sharing what I've read. That's it. Although computer chips are currently based on sand, well, silicone to be exact, but it really comes from sand, new computer chips, and they're very powerful. We've been in the news a lot, shortage for cars and other things. New computer chips are going to be based on something way better than silicone on sand. You can read about it. They're doing research and doing some experiments with them right now. It's based on living matter, protein, protein. When these protein-based computer chips finally get perfected, the computing power will immediately increase 50,000 times. So whatever the computer chip on your smartphone, in your computer, in your watch, in your car, wherever you have, they're all over the place, multiply that times 50,000. That means 50,000 times smarter, faster, more efficient, all the rest. So this image, this statue, 
may be a sophisticated automaton. Uh, I remember going to Disneyland as a child uh, right after it opened. Yes, I'm that old. Uh, old as dirt. And r right after Disneyland opened, and they had an automaton in Disneyland, 1956. And it was Abraham Lincoln. Do you remember him? And he talked. He didn't walk, but he talked. And he nodded his head, and he moved his eyes. And as a child, I thought, wow, there's Abraham Lincoln. How did they bring him back from the dead? Well, you know it was just an automaton, but maybe that's the case here. Or maybe this statue just maybe is demonically powered. Demons, they're powerful. We spent quite a bit of time in this class talking about the power of Satan and demons. If you missed the class, you can go pick up the notes from Robin, or you can go online and, uh, and hear the teaching again. Whatever it is, it will appear to have life throughout history. People have been suckers for signs and miracles, and even today, that was a problem in the first century. Many people were chasing after signs and wonders, and Jesus said, I'm right here in front of you. But they ignored the giver of the signs, the giver of the wonders. They're chasing after the gift. It's kind of like when Robin and I give a gift to our granddaughter or our grandson. If all they do is look at that gift, never acknowledge us, how does that make us feel? Come on, Robin's the one that put all the effort into it, and I'm the one that paid the bill, but she put all the work into it. But if they don't recognize Robin, or they don't recognize me, and they just focus on this gift, how silly is that? And the same thing, if we as believers spend all of our attention focusing on signs and wonders, we're ignoring the giver of the gifts, the giver of the signs and wonders. So, based on the eagerness of the general population at this time to put their faith in anything that might be extraordinary, it wouldn't take long for such an image to accumulate a large following, and this image will, the Bible tells us. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are counterfeits of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's not surprising that the mark of the beast is worn on the head, literally on the forehead, and on the arm of another counterfeit, we read in this chapter in verse 16. The Bible says in verses 16 and 17, uh, then the beast required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, verse 17, and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Now the Shema, you Hebrew scholars, you Israel scholars know what I'm talking about. The Shema is so essential to Jewish belief that it's placed in phylacteries. In a couple of weeks, some of us are going to be getting on a plane and going to Israel. And when we arrive in Jerusalem, especially, although you'll see it in other parts of Israel, but very common in Jerusalem, you will see the phylacteries, little black boxes, little black boxes, uh, much smaller than a cell phone, but uh, kind of the size of a deck of cards, roughly, squishing it down, uh, that are on the forehead, tied around the, the, with, with, with bands, uh, around the forehead, 
or on the arms of the Orthodox Jews. And in it, of course, you know, is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. That is the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. Verse 8, here we go. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And so right between the eyes just above are these phylacteries. Uh, speaking of when you enter your house, uh, although Robin and I don't wear phylacteries on our forehead or around our arms because his word is hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against him, but as you come into our home, uh, at least in Hawaii, and we have yet to put it up here in Colorado, but we will, is a mezuzah with, once again, the Shema written in Hebrew in that mezuzah. I, I, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, different artistic ways. Ours comes from the stone from Jerusalem. But some are made out of plastic, some are made out of chrome, some are made out of gold. Uh, there are all kinds of different things, different designs. And so uh, for those of you going to Israel, you might want to bring back a souvenir. Uh, you know, it's just they're all different prices. You can get really cheap or really expensive. Uh, and, and just put that at the door of your, at your house. Now, the mark of the beast is designed to mock the seal that God places on his disciples. You have a seal. I have a seal that God has placed on us. How do we know? The Bible tells us so in Revelation chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. And that is not the mark of the beast. That is the seal of God. And just as God marks his people to save them, we don't see it. We don't see it right now, but in heaven we will. Satan marks his people with the mark of the beast to save them from the persecution that he will inflict upon those people who gave their lives to Jesus Christ during the tribulation. Yes, there will be people that will be saved during the tribulation. We talked about that. Remember? Remember we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb and the marriage feast. And there were guests. And who is the bride? We are, the church, the bride of Christ. Who are the guests? The people that will be saved during the tribulation because the church is out of here. The church is already in heaven. These will be the guests. And so uh, he's going to uh, mark those people that follow him to protect them from his wrath, the Antichrist wrath, by placing a mark on their forehead or on their right hand. That is the mark of the beast. It's important to remember that John wrote the book of Revelation while on an isolated island. We talked about that way back in lesson one or two. On it, He was a prisoner working basically in the salt mines on the island of Patmos. Deserted, God-forsaken place. No technology during the first century. In fact, the highest form of technology during the time that John wrote this was a mule. That was it. Uh, and when the world's economy was based almost exclusively on bartering, much like it is in Vanuatu. One of the things that makes this passage so intriguing is that John describes precisely what the world is experiencing economically and culturally. Hang with me here. 
I, I, my father, after coming back from World War II, serving in the Navy, went to work in a bank as a janitor. He was a really, really good janitor. In fact, he was so good that he was promoted. And he was so good at that job, he was promoted again and again and again and again. And over the course of several years, he became the president of the bank. And then he became the president of the American Bankers Association. All a high school, with only a high school education, because he was good, but that's another story. So I learned a thing or two from my father about banking. And uh, it's very interesting. The banking industry in the recent years has been promoting, as you all know, a cashless society, uh, many decades. Banks have a financial interest in moving toward electronic funds transfer system, not as we know it today, but even more sophisticated. Small business owners are all in favor of this. Maybe you've seen the signs in many of the small businesses, stores here in the valley. Uh, coins appreciated, there's a coin shortage. Have you seen those signs? And currency is being phased out. In addition, the IRS, oh, the IRS. This is a bad time of the year to say those three letters. But the IRS, they're in favor of a cashless society. The government, loses over $1 trillion a year in the underground economy, including what's going on right here in this valley, where employees are paid in cash. No paper trail, no record, no taxes. Everybody's happy. An increasing number of people are in favor of a cashless society. Why? Well, to some extent in this country, but it's rampant in many other countries around the world is criminal activities. Criminal activities involve cash. They involve the theft of cash. Crime is rampant in many countries around the world, way more rampant than it is here. The elimination of cash would result in a reduction of crime. The drug culture, which is rampant in our society, is based on cash deals. One effective tool of uh, to, to curb drug trafficking would be to get rid of all cash. Tax evasion often involves dealing in large amounts of unreported cash transactions, not only in this country, but in the news lately have been a few oligarchs that you may have read about. And the same is true in Russia and other countries around the world. The elimination of cash would restore greater equity in our tax system. Uh, people that haven't been paying taxes they are forced to pay taxes. Uh, today, there are nearly 600 million open credit card accounts just in the U.S. 600, over 600 million open credit cards accounts just in the U.S. That does not include debit cards. Just in the U.S., open accounts, not closed ones. According to the American Bankers Association, the number of debit card payments every year in the last couple of years exceeds $61 billion. That's just debit card. That's just debit cards at McDonald's. At, well, it's got to be more than McDonald's, $61 billion. The value of credit card debt, debt, in just in the U.S. today, not around the world, just in the U.S. today, the current debt is over eight. $800 billion. $800 billion. I was fascinating doing research for this lesson tonight. 
how many people in the United States cannot pay for a refrigerator if it goes out in cash, in cash. They are so reliant on credit cards and credit. In addition to the credit card, debit card, the multi-technology automated reader card, military would know, uh, as the MARC card, has already been issued to thousands of US military personnel, both here and abroad. In addition, this card, now it is a card, it's a physical card, but in addition to tracking uh, financial transactions for the convenience of the officers and enlisted men and women, it contains all the health records, weapons qualifications, personal and family history, and electronically tracks the cardholder anywhere in the world by GPS. So if I was, I was at one time in the military, I'm not now, but if I went, if I was in the military and I went to check out a tank, they would look at my mark card and they say, no, David, you're not qualified to check out a tank. No, no. If I wanted to check out uh, a uh, missile, uh, no, no, you can't check out on missile. You're not qualified. They know my health record. They know my personal history. They know my family's history, blood type and medical, all that stuff. But, 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 hold on. There is a slight problem. It's a card. It's a card about the same as a credit card filled with electronic information, but it's just a card. And what happens to cards? I don't know about you, but I talked to somebody last week that lost their wallet. All their credit cards, all their driver's license, everything was gone. It happens regularly. They can be lost, they can be stolen. So, the proposed solution is biometrics. Biometrics, including, as you know, the reading of the irises on our eyes. I'm told by those that are experts that no two people have the exact same irises in their eyes. But, but, but this can also be problematic due to something as simple as contact lenses, which a lot of people wear. So the best solution confirms, and we could go on and on for an hour, but the best solution confirms what John wrote over 2,000 years ago with the mule by his side, the most advanced technology, <laughs> bartering <laughs> on that island of Patmos, that everyone would have a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. I mean, kind of tough to, to go down to Dillard's. That's, that's a big store here in Colorado, isn't it? Dillard's? We don't have those in Hawaii, but Dillard's. To go to Dillard's and to pay for a, you know, a whole bunch of shoes. <laughs> The ladies are smiling, the men are blank, 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 just looking blank. But the ladies, paper, how much you choose to say, oh, excuse me, and you pull out a right hand. Here, you can just scan this right hand, and then you put it back in your purse. That's silly. You can't do that. It won't work. So all that information is in your right hand, or if you're really patriotic, a really strong citizen, here on your forehead. That's what he wrote. And he wrote that the Antichrist will require everyone to have a mark on his or her right hand or forehead in verse 16. Already over two million, and this is a few months old, so um, Dr. John could update us on here, I think. Dr. John's a retired veterinarian. John, raise your hand, there he is. If you don't know Dr. John, get to know him. He's a great guy. So Dr. John could confirm 
that over two million animals have had computer chips embedded in them containing identification information, owner information, medical and vaccine records, and so forth and so on. Have you heard of that, Dr. John? Yeah. He's, he's, so, so thousands of people have said, wow, it's great for the animals. This would be good for me, too. So voluntarily, across the country, in all 50 states and in over 60 nations, tens of thousands of people have said, I want this information embedded in my body someplace. It doesn't have to be the right hand or the forehead, but someplace. I want a chip in my body. So if I get kidnapped or if I lose my way or I need emergency medical care, it's all there. It's all so efficient. It's, it works really, really good. People are already volunteering. Many parents welcome this technology for their children due to the increasing threat of kidnapping and, and child abuse and so forth and so on. But, 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 but there's a problem because the Bible says the mark of the beast will seal the fate of those who accept it. Now, if you have any friends that have had computer chips implanted for medical reasons or whatever, that is not the mark of the beast. The cows and the horses, the big animals, because Dr. John, a veterinarian, works with big animals, so the cows and the horses that have the computer chips embedded in them uh, for various good reasons, that's not the mark of the beast. Those cows and horses are not condemned to hell because, they, no, that's not the mark of the beast. The acceptance, though, of this number of the mark of the beast represents total allegiance to the Antichrist. That's why John and the two prophets that we talked about last week that preach in Jerusalem, they're killed, they, their, their bodies lay for the whole world to see by video camera and cell phones and all that for three and one half days. That one half day is very, very important because the Jewish thought, there's, the, the Jewish thinking was uh, that there's no way they can come back to life. Their spirit's gone, never happened. And they are resurrected, they continue to preach, and then they just go right on up to heaven. I love it. So John, the two prophets in Jerusalem, the 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, like 144,000 Billy Grahams, spanning the globe. And then if that wasn't enough, an angel that we already read about flying all around the world, shouting out, don't take the mark. Don't take the mark, the 144,000. Don't take the mark, the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Don't take the mark, John. Don't take the mark. But in spite of that, it will be considered patriotic. And for the first time in my life, I witnessed how this could be in the last two years. If you are patriotic, then you will do this. If you are a good citizen, then you will do this. Now, I am not implying at all for those that were vaccinated that they are weaker, that they are susceptible to the mark of the beast. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm implying. But in spite of great resistance initially by many people here in the United States regarding the COVID vaccine, many people begin to be enlightened, not by force, not by Zach and his buddies from the army coming and saying, you know, you need to march down and take, take your shot, not by any police officers, but by social pressure, wasn't it? By peer pressure. 
So for those of you that haven't taken the shot, that's, that's fine. That, that, that is your decision. For those of you that have and the boosters, that's fine. That is your decision. But people complied, not by government pressure. And you remember for a while you'd get $100 or you'd get a 12-pack of beer or you'd get a free ticket to a concert or something if you took the shot. That didn't work out so well. What did work was peer pressure. And so when the mark of the beast comes, it will be peer pressure. Don't you want to be a good citizen? Don't you want to support your government? Don't you want to support world peace? Don't you want to support Mother Earth? Don't you want to support going against global warming? Are you for, are you for polluting the rivers? Are you for molesting children? Are you a tax evader? You must be a criminal. And that won't come from the government. It will come from social pressure. And it will be far more than anything we've ever witnessed on this planet. It will be patriotic. It will be the right thing to do. Most people will say, this really makes sense. And it will intellectually. I'd be foolish not to. I'd be depriving my family food. I'd be, I'd be depriving my wife another new pair of shoes. Uh, whatever the case may be. Most people will say, this makes sense. So what does this number 666 refer to? Well, I'm glad you asked. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It's not what I think. It's not what some best-selling author thinks. And I am old enough to have seen them come and to see them go. Those of you that are almost as old as I am, I being the oldest one here, I'm sure, you may remember Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth sold millions of copies. I bought one. In fact, I bought more than one. I bought several and gave them away. It was such a great book. It went through the book of Revelation in a way that I could understand. Wow, these things are really going to happen. And look at the trumpets and look at the bulls and look at the seals and look at the plagues and look at the battle of Armageddon. Look at the, the unholy trinity. I learned so much. But then Hal Lindsey went on to name names and give dates. Those names have since passed away. Those dates have come and gone. A very well-known pastor of one of the largest, really the founder of the Jesus People Revolution, the Jesus Movement, back in the 60s and 70s, very well-known pastor, he wrote a book entitled 77 Reasons why Jesus must come back before 1977. Wonderful Christian man, but, well, we're still here, aren't we? Aren't we? So we need to be very, very careful. We need to recognize that the best commentary on these things, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The Bible describes someone who was marked with the number of man. So let's go back to the beginning of the Bible. You don't need to turn there. But it's in your notes, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and born Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. That must have been incredible. There'd never been a baby. <laughs> I mean, a baby had never even been considered. Adam and Eve, when they were created by God, weren't little babies. They were adults. How do we know what the Bible tells us so? And then out pops this baby. Whoa! What is this? <laughs> I mean, just try to imagine that. And so she said, I've acquired a man-child from, from the Lord. 
A more literal translation, translation from the Hebrew language is, I have gotten a man, even Jehovah, the Lord. Now, why would Eve say this in the original Hebrew language? Because after she and Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, God promised that her seed would crush the head of Satan. You remember that, the first prophecy back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So when Cain was born, she believed he was the one. He's the Messiah. He's the pro- Look at this miracle. Nobody had ever seen birth, let alone birth of a human before. This was, nobody even considered it. So this must be God's promise. This is truly a miracle. That's what she believed. The one that would free them from the power of Satan. But she realized soon, as he was growing up, going through his terrible twos, that he was not the deliverer. So she named her second son Abel, which means, do you know the meaning of Abel? Hopeless. How would you like that name? Oh, pleased to meet you. My name is Joe. What's your name? Hopeless. But that's what his name means, hopeless. You remember the story. After Cain's self-sufficient sacrifice was rejected by God, Cain killed Abel. You all remember the story. Cain was banished to the wilderness with a mark to protect him. By now there are other people on the earth, and they wouldn't think very highly of the first murderer, so God put a mark to protect him. Abel was considered, listen gang, Abel was considered to be hopeless and unimportant. Cain was thought to be the promised one, but Cain represented the Antichrist in place of Christ, while Abel is a picture of Jesus Christ. Abel was a shepherd, Genesis 4-2. Jesus is the good shepherd, John 10-11. Abel brought a lamb to sacrifice to God, Genesis 4-4. Jesus offered himself as the lamb of God, John 1.29. Abel was hated by his brother. Killed him. Genesis 4.5. Jesus came to his own and his own received him not and killed him. John 1.11. Abel was slain by his brother. Genesis 4.8. Jesus was crucified by the brethren. John 19.6. The blood of Abel cried out to God, Genesis 4.10. The blood of Jesus speaks to better things, Hebrews 12.24. Abel submitted to the directions of the Father, Hebrews 11.4. Jesus does what pleases the Father, John 8.29. Pretty cool, huh? Has prophetic significance. So throughout the Bible, The number six represents the flesh. The spirit of Cain says, I'm a good person. I'm a hard worker. I'm a faithful friend. I do nice things. I remember your birthday. The spirit of Cain says, I don't need to be in church. It's uncomfortable. There's made up of a bunch of people that, well, some of them I don't care for very much. I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to be his disciple. I'm putting together a nice basket of fruit, but I'm uncomfortable with all that bloody stuff. 
that we hear in church on Good Friday. The Old Testament, it's a bloody, it's a bloody bunch of books. And the New Testament, I'm uncomfortable with all that. The spirit of Abel says, I'm a sinner. Without him, I can do nothing. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I don't just believe in Jesus. We studied demons believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. Almost everybody believes in Jesus. The spirit of Abel says, I need to be in church. I need regular Bible study, worship, and communion. Go back to the book of Acts. Four things listed right there. Our eternal destiny depends upon whether we're of the spirit of Cain, who is dependent upon good works, or the spirit of Abel, who is utterly and totally dependent upon God. Well, let's go on to the next chapter. Oh, yikes. I need to speed it up. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Beginning in verse 1, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean, ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Verse 4. They had kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever he goes. They had been purchased from among the people on earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. Verse 5. They have told no lies. They are without blame. Then, and I saw another angel flying through the sky carrying the good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Verse 7, fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen, that great city is fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, anyone who worships the beast in his statue or who accepts the mark on his forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Verse 11, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast in his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Verse 13, and I heard a verse, a voice from heaven saying, write these down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. Verse 16, 
So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple of heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. Verse 20, the grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress into a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Now, the very last statement in Revelation 13, we just read it, was his number is 666, referring to the mark of the beast on the right hands or on on the foreheads of all those pledging allegiance to the Antichrist. But here in Revelation 14, John sees the Lamb of God standing with a group of the 144,000 witnesses, and they also have a mark on their foreheads, but it's definitely not the same mark. Verse 1, these people had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. In Revelation 7, we've already studied the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel who go around the world proclaiming the gospel. They're going to be powerful evangelists. And although the Antichrist will target them, they'll be targeted like our friend in Afghanistan. Although they'll be targeted for persecution, not one of them will die. Not one. Not one. The most powerful army, the most powerful leader in the world says, I want to get get those 144,000. At least get get some of them, not one. And the Bible says these 144,000 believers are singing, in verse 3, a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God before the living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth, verse 3. Now this sound is something like rushing water and thunder, yet there are harpists Playing, playing instruments, we see that in verse 2. Now, why could no one else sing the song of the 144,000? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Because they alone went through the testing of the tribulation. We can't sing that song because we're not here for the tribulation. Now, do we have our personal tribulations in life? Oh, we all do. We all do. But we're not here for the great tribulation but they maintained their integrity. Therefore, they were able to sing about what the Lord did for them during the tribulation. Robin and I are following the news, like probably most of you are, what's going on in Ukraine. And we were moved emotionally as one young man is going around to the hardest hit villages. And I don't need to repeat the atrocities that have been committed. It's just not in good taste. But he's going to the survivors and he's singing. He's singing a song to them. I don't think he, I don't know if there are any Christian songs, but he's singing to them their heritage and the heritage and the history of Ukraine. Beautiful, beautiful thing. So they were able to sing about what the Lord did for them during the tribulation. God's intent is to give us here tonight, those of you watching, God's intent is to give us a new song as we experience times of tribulation right now in our own life. Not the great tribulation, 
but tribulation that we face in our own life. That's, the Bible says that Paul and Silas sang from their damp and dark dungeon at the darkest hour simply because the Lord was with them. Not because they were going to be set free, not because they had an extra piece of bread, for no other reason other than the Lord was with them, Acts chapter 16. We can always go through hard times with a song on our heart because the Lord has promised to strengthen us. How do I know? The Bible tells us so in Isaiah 41 verse 10. He will walk with us through hard times, Matthew 28, 20. So these 144,000 are blessed. They're described as pure as virgins following the Lamb wherever he goes. Verse 4. Now in the Old Testament, idolatry was, was often portrayed portrayed as spiritual adultery. The whole book of Hosea is about that. So if you want to read a racy, true life novel for adults only, read the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. Now watch, everybody's going to read that tonight. But, <laughs> but that's what it's all about. In other words, these people didn't get involved with the pagan world system. They remained faithful to Christ during this time. The Bible says they have purchased they have been purchased from among the people on earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb, in verse 4. A more literal translation from the Hebrew is a special offering or first fruit. So I'm, I'm giving you a more modern translation. It's from uh, the Living Translation, if you want to know. Easier to understand. But in the Hebrew, first, first fruit would be a better translation than special offering. This term would be very, very meaningful to first century Jews. They knew about this. As the crops came in each year, they offered back to God a portion of the fruit that ripened first. The first fruit. You can read about it in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 23. This group represents the first wave of people. These people singing the song, redeemed by God during the dark days of the tribulation. They were the first fruit, these 144,000. We're also living in dark days, especially if we were meeting underground in Afghanistan or in Ukraine tonight. Temptations are intense. In this passage, John gives us six ways how we can remain faithful. First, keep your mind on the Lord. The Bible says, with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And we talked about the Shema and what that represents, verse 1. When the Lord is continually on our mind, we will be at peace. I can speak to that. I vividly remember one particular night in a foxhole, muddy, cold water up to our, my knees in Vietnam, when we had been overrun, when my flamethrower had been destroyed, that was my weapon that I carried, when I had tossed my last grenade and I had three bullets left in my sidearm, a 45. I was convinced that would be the last night of my life. And then Paul Saxman, a young Marine Lance Corporal, in the foxhole with me, very quietly started saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk, want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
Did the fighting stop? No. The violins didn't start playing. The sun didn't come out. The fighting didn't stop like it would be in Hollywood. No, it raged on. And there was lots of bloodshed and lots of ugly things. But in my heart, there was a peace that I can't begin to describe. It goes beyond human description. Maybe you have experienced that in a, another kind of war that you've been through. It's real. It's real. Secondly, keep integrity in your speech. The Bible says the voices of the 144,000 were like a roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. Verse 2, thunder represents authority. Integrity and authority are linked together. Even if people don't know your story, they can sense. They can sense in your voice. They can see in your face. They can discern in their spirit or in their heart whether or not you're a person of integrity. I taught at the School of Communication at the University of Hawaii, and I taught in the School of Communication at San Diego State University. So, what? Big deal, David. Well, one of the favorite courses I taught was nonverbal communication. 85, about 85% of all human communication is nonverbal. It goes way beyond our gestures, our looks, our age, the, you know, how tall we are, color of our skin, or the style of our hair, shape of our nose or ears or anything else. It goes way beyond that. It's how you say what you say. That's nonverbal communication. I can say the words, I love you, in a very sensuous way or a very sarcastic way. The Bible says, keep integrity in your speech. That's why the voices of the 144,000 were like the rolling of loud thunder. Verse 2. Third, keep a song in your heart. The Bible says in verse 3, this choir sang a wonderful new song. In the Bible, a new song represents rejoicing or happiness. The Bible says you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Hebrews 1.9. In other words, the happiest man in history was the one who hated sin. Who is the happiest man in history? Our Lord Jesus Christ. But you say, wait, Dave, wasn't he a man of sorrows? Oh, yes. He's experienced every pain you and I will ever experience or think of. And yet there was a deep joy in his life. The Bible says, joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. Psalm 144, 15. Fourth, keep the lamb in your sight. The Bible says they have kept themselves as pure as virgins following the lamb wherever he goes. In verse 4, wherever the lamb goes, the 144,000 follow. They kept their eyes on the Lamb. They kept their eyes on Jesus. They they followed him easily because their purity allows them to see him clearly. You might say, David, I'm not so pure. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Your hands are pure. You are made clean and perfect 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. God sees you not because of what you have done or haven't done. God sees you because of what he has done. You are perfect in his sight. We remember our sins, but the Bible says God doesn't remember our sins. Wait a minute, doesn't God know everything? Yeah, he does. But the Bible says he doesn't remember our sins, but we do. How does that work? I don't know. But the Bible tells us that God doesn't remember our sins. I love it. I love it. Fifth, keep truth on your lips. The Bible says they have told no lies. They are without blame in verse 5. The Bible links purity with speech. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. But Jesus said that. You can tell a lot by a person, by what comes out of their mouth, can't you? That's why the mouths of these 144,000 were filled with truth. Number six, produce fruit for your Lord. The Bible says they've been purchased from among the people on earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb in verse four. John's admonition to the church in the first century is just as applicable to us today as it will be to those and I believe the relatively near future, going through the tribulation. Choose holiness. The result of holiness will be Christ on your mind, integrity in your speech, a song in your heart, Jesus in your sight, and truth on your lips. And then, and then, your life will produce fruit for our Lord. But, but, but even if you fail, and boy, we all have, if your name is written in the book of life, God will still find you faultless. Where? Before the throne. Verse 5. Why? Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our failings. 1 John 1, 7. So choose holiness. Why? You'll be happily presently. You'll be happy presently and blessed eternally. Wow. Well, we're just getting to the Air Force. The angels are coming on the scene, but our time is up. Our time is up. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Air Force comes on the scene, and then we get into the two Babylons. Yeah, there are two Babylons. What does it represent? And then after that, we talk about clouds. Oh, Robin and I love looking at the clouds here in Colorado. Hawaii didn't have, Hawaii had a lot of beauty, but nothing as beautiful as the clouds in Colorado. They're so cool. And then um, after that, we talk about the Battle of Armageddon. It's in your notes, and uh, so you can read ahead if you want. That's okay. Uh, but may we apply these six principles so that our lives will bear good fruit. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Revelation. It applies to us today just as much as it did in the first century when all those terrible things were going on, just as much as it will during the tribulation when the worst is yet to come. So thank you that we have given, you've given us something to hang on to for right now as we go our separate ways. I ask your blessing on those watching this video and and on those here tonight, in Jesus' name, amen.